Ben Fred Fridays on Scoops with Danny Mac, and this is presented by Mark Milton, and he is a proud St. Louis University alum, and the Billikens are in action this weekend. They're going to take on Evansville tomorrow. That game can be seen on television at 6 and Mark Milton, stltaxlawyer.com. If you have IRS problems, visit stltaxlawyer.com. He is widely recognized as one of the top tax resolution attorneys in the country, prides himself, uh, prides himself in helping individuals and small business owners solve their tax issues. So if you have tax problems, stltaxlawyer.com. And remember, the choice of a lawyer is an important decision, should not be based solely on advertising. We are also presented by Stratum Structural Systems. Getting into the winter months, and that means stratumrepair.com, stratumrepair.com, basement waterproofing, foundation repair, egress windows. Just head to their website, easily navigate their website. You'll see if you have any kind of issues, they can help you. That is stratumrepair.com. Tell them I sent you. It's a Friday. That means we visit with Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. We call this Ben Fred Fridays. We've been doing this a long time. Hey, good morning, Ben. How are you, buddy? Happy Friday, Dan. I'm, I'm doing well. Good to be with you and uh, hope, your, uh, hope your weekend's looking fun. Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be cold, though. Are you ready for the winter months? They are here now. Yeah, that's the uh, that's our weather, man. Beautiful one day, frigid the next, and we just uh, roll with the punches. I guess that means it's college officially college basketball weather. It is. I guess that's what it means. Or the hot stove could warm us up. Yeah, hot stove. You know what? I'm just happy that we have hot stove. I mean, there's plenty to get into, and we will in this uh, visit. We're going to get into college basketball, college football. Mizzou has got uh, Tennessee this weekend. Ouch, babe. Um and I think the line is near 20, maybe 20 and a half. I'm not sure. Not that I would put a wager down on that, Ben. Not that I'm paying attention. And if the line goes up and down, I would never do something like that. However, um, let's. Uh, where do you want to go? You want to go baseball? You want to go basketball? You want to go football? You want to go hockey? Blues win last night. What do you want to do? Let's let's talk baseball to start because there's. I'm reading the coverage out of the um, GM meetings. I'll be at the winter meetings in San Diego next month. Um, it sounds like, you know, reading the national coverage that a lot of teams are kind of talking about, hey, we want to we want to be better. Um, now, you never have the teams come in and say we, we're tanking, but, you know, right. And it sure seems like a lot of the teams that in the past have maybe been you know, looking to drop money or to just kind of, you know, not compete are now starting to try to turn the corner and which could mean a more interesting market. It, it feels like. Certainly the Cardinals fit this mold, Dan, of a team that was kind of trying to be cautious during the the pandemic, wasn't sure what the seasons were going to look like, wasn't sure what the crowds were going to look like. We've heard the Cardinals say, hey, we're going to come out, we're going to lift the payroll. We benefited from the crowds we got last season with Pujols. We're going to put that money back into the roster. And it not that every team had the Pujols Palooza but if you're the Orioles, you're now saying, okay, you know, things are getting closer. We can go out and be more aggressive. It seems like some teams are in, and that's good. It should hopefully mean for a more entertaining and uh, perhaps competitive offseason, which that's what people want, right? I mean, you want it to feel like NBA free agency or NFL free agency where there's a story every day and there's teams going going for after the same guys. It makes for good theater. 
think baseball has lacked that some in recent years, and maybe this gets back a little bit bit more back toward it being kind of entertaining. I've had people tell me they enjoy the post or the uh, the uh, off season more than they enjoy the regular season and the postseason. They they love oh, Cardinals fans. They, they love I mean, it. There, you can't tell me. I mean, and I compliment my colleague Derek Gould for doing all of the payroll math um, for the Cardinals. And I'm like reading it. I'm like, oh my god! Like he, he went into full blown accountant mode. Um, and I'm like, you know, and these fans are eating it up. They want to know where's the money, where can they spend, what will they spend? And I remind them, hey, look, the Cardinals set their own payroll. It's not a cap that is handed down to them. But my point is this. People care here, and they want to know who's available, what's the fit, what's the realistic expectation, and you know, part of that is figuring out. Because it's how the Cardinals do business, they have their goal, and they pretty much stick to it. So you you have to know how the money is allotted to kind of get a feel for it. But you know, if more more teams are in and competing, driving prices up, then you maybe have to spend a little bit more. So it's uh, it's good that that base more baseball teams are trying to be good. And it certainly, it certainly is an offseason where I know a lot of Cardinals fans are are really hyped up on what are they going to do, what's the need, and it, and it creates good conversation points because there's some obvious holes they need a catcher, but how do they go about doing that? What should they prioritize? And then there's kind of some some intrigue, right? They know they want a bat of some kind to help out Goldschmidt and Arenado, but they're not saying specifically where that bat has to to fit in, and I don't think they have a. I think they probably have some preferences, but I don't think they're saying we're looking for a shortstop. We're looking for an outfielder. I think it kind of depends on the bat and maybe the flexibility of the of the roster behind it. All right, let me throw you some catchers because that seems to be the first priority, and they do need a catcher, and I, I yeah. firmly agree with that. I, I don't think Herrera's ready. I don't think Kisner would be a number one, not at this point. Not to say that it can't happen. I, I do like both guys, I, and I think you have to let especially – in Herrera's case, he's young, and the the organization has been very, very patient with prospects. And I can give you examples of when they've been patient, when others have said, cut bait, and it's turned out and it's worked. So I, I think you do have to be patient. But let me give you some names. Wilson Contreras, Sean Murphy, uh, Alejandro Kirk, Christian Vasquez, Danny Jansen. Any of these names pop out at you as you uh, do some evaluations, maybe some deep dive on analytics or just eye test of guys that you like there? Well, I, I maybe I'm going up against the Cardinals and what they think about the catcher is. I, I like Contreras, um, and I, I think he would. I be do a too. Really I've come back fit. around on him. I, I have too. I I think it's it's different because his strength is hitting, and the Cardinals have not had a, a hit first catcher in a long time. They've had some good ones, um, and when you look at what this lineup has struggled with, it's it, and it's not a knock on Yadi. He's he's a Hall of Famer in my book. But they were getting, you know, less than average offensive production from that spot. So, okay, you could boost the offense in that way and not stop there. I'm not saying he's your big bat, but he's going to bring offense into the equation that they haven't had in a long time. He can also be a DH. You can get Kisner reps, or maybe next year you get Herrera reps. Um, he doesn't have to play catcher the whole time. The the knock on him, of course, Dan, is his defense. But when you look at the numbers of his defense, it's I don't. I don't know that it's as bad as some people want to make it seem. He's got one of the best pop times in baseball. He's got a very strong right arm. Um, they, you know, some folks are down a little bit on his blocking skills, and that's not to be to be sugar coated. But the other thing he gets knocked for is pitch framing, and 
I mean, I don't know about you. I think pitch framing is probably gone in 2024 when we think we'll have the automated strike zone. It's so gonna be close. I'm not yeah. saying it's not important. I love it. I wish it wasn't going away, and 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 I, I think it's an art form. However, I don't know that you stop from from looking at a catcher who could fit your needs based off of a, only one skill that could be deteriorated by the way the game is going to change. In, in terms of then. Uh, your next order of business, you know, you mentioned shortstops, and I've, I've been asked about it ad nauseum, yeah. and here's here's where I'm at, and I think that the Cardinals are probably taking a look at the shortstop market. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, there's, there's some good ones there, but I would say that they feel comfortable with Tommy Edmond because he's a good one. Analytically speaking, I test all that stuff. Um but, and they have Paul DeYoung under contract as well. And defensively, Paul's fine. He's obviously had his issues at the plate. But you have Mason Wynn coming. And I was told, and if folks want to go back and listen to Brian Walton at thecardinalnation.com, he's with us every Wednesday. I visit with him. He had boots on the ground. He was at the Arizona Fall League. And I've talked to others that are there that feel that Mason Wynn right now is defensively ready to play the position at the major league level. He's 20 years old. He's not ready offensively. But he's close. And so you can invest in that market and spend a bundle of money and shift Tommy Edmond over to being a gold glove second baseman. That's fine. I mean, I, hey, if you want to bring in Trey Turner, I'm all in. If people, oh, no. if people said to me, <laughs> who do you want? I say, if you, if you, if you know, money was no option, who do you want? I always say Trey Turner. I'd love to right. have Trey Turner. He's a, he's sure. a great player. But I think if you're looking to, you know, dictate where your resources are going to go, there's probably other places that you need to have it done. So having said that, that's my opinion. Um, again, if something falls in your lap, you take it. But where do you, where do you stand on the – because I know folks are curious about your opinion on this. Where do you go with the shortstop market if – and maybe I explained it for you, but you're going to say the same thing. But where do you, where do you stand on the shortstop market? Well, I just think that if the Cardinals were going to go out and grab one of these elite shortstops and spend the money that it takes to do it we would be hearing them say they they feel like a shortstop is a need more than they have now of course we remember when when john mosellock said one offseason that matt carpenter was their third baseman and they wound up with nolan arenado so i'm not ruling out a uh, a curveball it just seems to me that the cardinals are being very clear and saying they need they need offense but they're not saying where it plays and to me this is the kind of the shortstop class that if you are going to get one of those guys, you, you're probably thinking you absolutely need a shortstop. And I don't, I don't think they're convinced they do. They've got Edmund who was a gold glove finalist playing second and short. They've got Donovan who won a gold glove who can play some short. They've got DeYoung who we'll see if, if Paul's there for spring training or if he's maybe moved in some of the trades that, that could happen. Um, I think the if the Cardinals go shortstop, they're probably looking at a short-term deal. I mean, if, if Carlos Correa is like, hey, I'll take another short deal with opt-outs and I want to play for a team that's got a chance, then how could you not be interested in that if you're the Cardinals? But I do think the Mason win factor is real. And John Moselak specifically mentioned, um, he didn't mention Mason by name, but he mentioned some guys they have coming when asked about the shortstop kind of conversation that's going on. 
started here, you know, before they went to to GMings, it's going to continue. But I, I, I don't feel like they feel like that's a pressing need. If there's a good fit on a contract that they feel is not super long, um, then and there's offensive production. And don't forget this: defense is now important again because the shift is going away. So having a guy like Tommy Edmond, who we know can play the position fine. Um, all those concerns last year about Tommy Edmund not being able to play shortstop, I never understood. He's fine there defensively. DeYoung is 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 very good there defensively as well. Of course, he's going to have to hit. So I, I just don't see them saying we have to have a shortstop. They're not pounding the table for a shortstop like they are a catcher. And it makes me think that bat could come anywhere, maybe at short, maybe in the outfield, maybe a power-packed you know, DH addition um, you know, better than what they did there last season. I'm talking about Corey Dickerson, not Albert Pujols, but I, I don't, I don't sense from them that they're they're feeling like shortstop is a must. And a team that gives Trey Turner nine or ten years and you know more than thirty million dollars a year, they're they're probably going to feel like a shortstop is a must. Tyler O'Neill on your opening day roster, yes or no? What do you think? Huh, that's a good question. Um, because they could get creative with some of the guys they got coming, you know, and Jordan Walker being that other guy. Because that's the, you know, if Tyler O'Neill isn't there, it's probably Jordan Walker is. Yeah, one is tied um, in with with the other probably. Right. I would give, I would give, um, I would give O'Neill a chance, but I wouldn't. If, if a deal comes across that I can get something I need, and he's the piece that could be moved to do it, I wouldn't hesitate to do it. Yeah, I, I do think he's trending toward that that place where the Cardinals can legitimately say, Dan, Hey, we see a lot of potential. I think they, I think they think he's a better player than certainly what he showed last season. I think they think he's the guy they saw the year before, but I think they're also getting close to the point where they can say, Hey, we gave this a long run here. It worked. We saw it could work. um, But we have questions about if it can work often enough. And we've got some other guys that we need to, to try to cycle through um, wouldn't surprise me at all. If he's the guy to start and Walker comes on and you know, if Tyler has an injury or a slump then Walker's there, um, I wouldn't take him off the board. If teams are, are interested in his upside and his potential. And I do think there will be teams that are because they saw what he did last season. Now, the one thing that's interesting is we're hearing a lot from the team about how Tyler is staying here this off season. He's working with the team staff They're They're going to put a lot of, time and energy and effort into trying to get his body to a point where he can be more reliable. So there's an investment going on there that is being pretty, pretty outspoken. And it reminds me a little bit of kind of how the Cardinals handled Paul DeYoung last year, where they basically told him early on, he's the guy and, you know, to, to plan accordingly. Now that, that didn't work, but I do think that maybe they tried that approach with Tyler this year. And then that puts them in a spot where Walker can be a good problem to have, not someone they're counting on in left field. I, I wonder if they feel like Walker has got to kick down the door in spring training to where yeah. it's like, look, we can't keep him down in the minor leagues. He's he, This is it. Spring training was awesome. He's got to come. Or if they're just steadfast in saying, even if he does that, he starts in the minor leagues and then we'll, we'll bring him up. But remember, in the new CBA – if you start a guy and he finishes, I can't remember where it is and like whatever it is in in um, rookie of the year, you get uh, you get rewarded with picks. 
by bringing a kid up. And so I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where they stand with that, if they want to slow play it or if they just say, look, the guy's so good, we're going to bring him up. And by all accounts, with what has been done at the Arizona Fall League and everything else that he's done with a short resume and pro ball, um, he's a superstar in the making. I, I probably need to pump the brakes on it, but, man, I'm so excited to see this kid play. Well, you should watch him swing if you haven't, and you'll get excited too. And then you see him some of the stuff he can do defensively. I went out into Springfield um, when Jack Flaherty was was pitching that rehab this year, and I was struck by his athleticism. I mean, you know he can hit the ball a mile, and you see him at spring training. He's large, large young man, <laughs> very impressive to, to talk to. Um, but he's he's got a, a speed and a skill and a gracefulness to him that. It's kind of beyond his his years. Um, he he doesn't look like a guy who's just there to bop. I mean, he's got real tools, and he's certainly confident and has just uh, he just kind of seems mature beyond his years, which he'll need because he's going to be in the, he's going to be in the bigs before a lot of his uh, his peers, and probably hopefully will be for a long time. So yeah, I understand the excitement there. I, it makes me wonder, Dan, with this outfield. With Walker looming, you've, I think the car, the Cardinals, and you and I both agree on this. I think they 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 can get better out of Dylan Carlson. He was banged up last year with the wrist, and I, I'm not ready to give up on him yet. I know some people are, but I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm probably more willing to to if I'm the Cardinals, maybe part with Tyler O'Neill. Maybe that looks idiotic in uh, two three years, but I think people forget how young Dylan is. Lars is clearly in this picture some way somehow. Um, so it makes me wonder if the outfield addition is, you know, you can make a case, hey, go get certainty, go get a starter, go get a guy who makes you get rid of one of these other guys. But it kind of makes me wonder if you don't kind of try to make almost like a, a Dickerson type move, but better. Um, you know, Jack Peterson last year signed for one year and six million with the Giants and Dickerson got one year, five million with the Cardinals. And Peterson went out and hit 20 plus homers, crushed right handed pitching can DH, can play the outfield. Is there a move like that that could get the Cardinals better production than a, simply a, a league average hitter, which is what Corey Dickerson wound up being? But they've got so much kind of unproven but intriguing options across that outfield. You know, put in put in Yepes into that group, and it's kind of like, okay, are they, are they really going to are they going to move somebody out? to add somebody in, uh, I don't know. You know, they're, they're, the bat's got to play somewhere. It's got to come somewhere. DH, shortstop, corner outfield, center field, they've got to put the bat somewhere unless it's going to be a full-time DH. And it sure seemed like they liked kind of the the timeshare DH and actually, to their credit, kind of used it used it pretty well last year, at least, uh, at least when Albert took it over. So I, I'm curious to see where they think this bat is going to be and how much that depends on their preseason plans versus who's available, what do they like, and then how do they make it fit around that. Okay, the Blues win last night. Whew, take a little breath. All right, they, they win. Uh, that calms the waters for just the time being. they got to play Vegas, who has won, I think, nine straight uh, tomorrow night. And um, now, starting last night, the Blues were already six points out of a playoff spot. However, it's so early, you say you're only six points out. So there's, you know, you're, it's before Thanksgiving. There's there's right. plenty of time. So that's the other way to look at it. But um, where, where are you right now with the St. Louis Blues and, and what's happened and the losing streak? And, and you maybe look back at the end of the season, you go, man, that was such a terrible losing streak, but they got out of it and they made the playoffs. And now they're on this great 
great playoff run, or it was a defining streak that showed that, man, a lot of moves that were made were wrong. I mean, it's just it's so early. You just don't know. But where are you right now with the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, I hate, I hate reacting to, to November hockey in general, but when you have a you know, a franchise worst losing streak in regulation <clears throat> and, and the, and the GM is, is, is having closed door meetings with the, with the guys in the room and, and, and going to bat to defend his coach. Um, you have to react. So I think they're on the, ver- they're on the edge and they, they got a chance to catch their breath against a pretty lousy San Jose team. And they, so they took care of business at home and and now they start a three game road trip that is going to be okay. Is this the foothold that leads them toward climbing out of this funk, or is was it a, was it a blip against another team that's really struggling? So we'll find out. I don't want to overreact to one game, but you've got to factor in eight eight games lost, and it's been all kinds of things. It's been special teams problems. It's been you know almost at times looking like they're they're pressing versus times where they look kind of checked out um you've got you know the quote from doug armstrong that jumped out to me was these guys are 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 pointing fingers at times and then guys are thinking they're not part of the problem and that's a problem and you don't want to hear stuff like that about a team it suggests the chemistry could be off a little bit and you know you can't have a team that's feeling like it's 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 bad luck issues when they're playing poorly so you know they have looked better the past couple games now they've only won one of those but it, it seemed like they're starting to kind of try to put together a, a better performance armstrong has made some moves promoting some of the young guys which i think is is pretty much all he can do right now there's been a lot of talk about what does this team look like if it sells off what does it look like if it if it punts on the season um and really the truth is the trade deadline is in march so there's not really so much you can do right now even if you decided you wanted to do that. I don't think the Blues, their ownership group, the front office wants to have a situation where this is a totally lost season. I think they're trying to kind of rattle the cage a little bit and hope they get a response. And and we're in the process now of seeing if that seeing if that works. But I don't think it's a Baruby problem. I, I think a few things are going on. Some of it's some bad luck. O'Reilly's not playing well. Um, Kairou has has not been playing great. He's starting. He had a good game. Um, on Thursday, which was encouraging. He's got to, you know, the guys who got the big contracts got to play well. Um, and I, the frustrating thing is they've actually gotten pretty good goaltending. Bennington's been very sharp. So I think the one thing, and it, I, you can't put it on one, but the one thing that I look back at is, you know, it's not the Kachuk deal. It's not, you know, not not blowing this thing up. It's it's letting Perron walk. And I know that it's not the only answer, but I do feel like that took something out of this team and maybe they didn't factor in his clutchness, his leadership. And I think they're kind of missing a guy like that right now. And I think that shows in their record. Yeah, it does. There's no doubt. Okay. It's a good time to be a Billiken fan because you got soccer rolling. Uh, you also have Billiken basketball with an impressive win against Murray state. The other night they fell behind nine to two, maybe some early season jitters, but then they, they blow them out. And, that's a sign of a good team. You know, Murray State's going to win some games inside the Valley, and that's a team that even though that they have, you know, were dismantled after winning 31 wins, uh, 31 games last year and finished 18th in the country, they're going to be a fine team this year in the Valley. But uh, SLU has Evansville starting um, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. You can see the game on Valley Sports Midwest. 
I, I like SLU. I liked your article this last week in the uh, Post-Dispatch about this should be a top 25 team. We're going to find out a lot more about SLU after Evansville tomorrow. They have one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the country, but they also have one of the best point guards. And Yuri Collins, 14 assists to zero <laughs> turnovers. That young man is some kind of player. But here's the thing that I take away from watching SLU. If, and, and, and Yuri went down with leg cramps at the end. Boy, oh boy, are they reliant a lot on Yuri Collins. When he's not on the floor, they are a different team. Yeah, and, and that's really the one area where they have not – they don't have right now proven depth where they can say, okay, if Yuri's in trouble, where do, where do they go? Now, don't be surprised if that doesn't end up being Larry Hughes Jr. A lot of people, I know you're hearing this too, really kind of see him as maybe the backup point guard sooner rather than later, which would be good. I mean, he's really impressed folks with his poise, his knowledge of what they're – what they're doing um his they weren't planning on playing these young guys a ton but i think they've kind of forced themselves into travis's equation and that's that's good so you're right that's the that's a, a big concern what i think about this team it's 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 deeper than we've seen it it is it is it can score in a lot of different ways it's got one of the best point guards in the country and it can shoot and those those tend to be dangerous teams okoro needs to be the guy that that he was toward the finishing stretch last year um you know Forrester is a good depth guy and he should challenge Okoro for some playing time if Okoro struggles but they're the best if he's dominant um and and kind of using his his length and his physicality to impact the game sometimes he can get a little quiet they need him to be strong the other thing that I think that's big for them Dan is not settling for three-pointers you saw in the first half and you were calling the game they took a ton of three-pointers they didn't make very many but they were all good looks and a lot of them were in and out. But when they get the ball inside and then kick it out to somebody who's open, when they take good quick threes versus, hey, the shot clock's winding down, we don't want to get the ball inside, that's hard, let's just jack it up. They did more of that in the second half. And and I, I thought I think you saw you know the game get a little more close for comfort before they pulled away again. They got to take a lot of threes. They should because they can shoot with Jimerson and Perkins. Um, they've got some guys who can make threes. They don't want that to be what they rely on because there are just going to be nights where they don't fall. There are also going to be nights where they do fall, and this team runs teams out of the gym. So that's what I, I thought was impressive. Their first half I thought was really strong, and they got a little a little loose in the second half, partly because the score was getting lopsided. But I see a team that's got a lot of different ways to score, and I think Travis knows that they can be pretty good, and he's coaching them accordingly. He's not going to say, hey, you won by – double digits great job he's gonna say these are the things we got to get better on and they've got a non-conference schedule dan if they take care of business they should be in a good spot to be in that at-large conversation this team doesn't want to be hanging out on the bubble come a 10 tournament time and, and they shouldn't put themselves in that spot how about the uh, recruiting class for dennis gates and mizzou he's he's off to a good start four stars make college basketball work dan the five stars are incredibly hard to get the three stars are what guys give the ranking guys gives players and they don't know what to think about him. Um, he's, he's gobbling up four stars and that's good. So, um, you know, I think that's a good sign. I was, uh, I was interested to see what, what he put on the court in, in his first game there at Mizzou. It sure seems like he's going to play a lot of his guys. He's going to tinker with matchups and, and lineups. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. They didn't decide to start Isaiah Mosley off, off the, they, they brought him off the bench in game one, maybe a message to him about, some of the things that he needs to do beyond simply dominating the ball and scoring. So 
Um, I, I think he's got a non-conference schedule, which will allow his team to kind of figure some things out. And as long as you don't, you know, lose one of these games to a very bad team, then people should more or less get on board. The one thing I thought was encouraging, um, and I heard this from people at the game, the tempo's good. They get up and down. They they want to run. And if you're going to have a transition season, and that's what this one is going to be for Mizzou, you you want to play in a fun way. And I think that this team this team should be enjoyable to watch, and that's going to go a long way to getting people patient about you know what he hopes is a, a building process here. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things I, I wanted to get into, too, before we wrap this thing up, Mizzou and Tennessee. So you want to test, you want to see where you're at right now, and I want to get into the extension for Eli as well. But Mizzou, Tennessee tomorrow, uh, ugly? Do they hang in? What do you think? Well, they better start the game well, because if not, it could be a big orange avalanche there. Um, it's a bad, it's a tough opponent, and it's the timing and the setting have, are going to make it all more challenging. Tennessee's coming off of a humbling loss to Georgia on the road. They're back at home. There'll be a sold out crowd, 100,000 plus. They're going bananas. And they know that they've got to now put up some style points to try to get back on the good side of the college football playoff committee. So that's a, an unfortunate spot for Mizzou. Um, I, w- I liked what the Tigers did the last time they hit the road at South Carolina. Um, they they kind of took a step back from that and some of the things they did against Kentucky. Uh, Blake Baker's defense is really good, and I think it I think it will give Mizzou. I won't say a, a chance, but it, if if Mizzou's going to have a chance, that defense is going to be the star, and it's going to have to play the best game it's played all year. It's going to have to be dang near perfect. Um, still, Missouri will have to try to find a way to move the ball, and they've really struggled. Their offense is between the struggles on the offensive line and the inconsistency at quarterback, Tennessee's defense is not great, but it also is better than the stats look because remember it's matched up with Josh Heupel's offense, which asks a lot out of a defense. So they're actually allowing about the same points per game as Mizzou more yards because they're on the field more. So um, I think it's a really tough challenge for Mizzou. I think it will take, I won't say a miracle, but it will take a perfect game for the Tigers, and we haven't seen anything close to that very often this season. Eli gets one hell of an extension. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was too early. Yeah. Um, I mean, but again, like this world of college sports financing, Dan, it's not done in the real world. Um, it just isn't. It's based off of money that, that that keeps coming in, and it keeps getting bigger, and Eli's got a hell of an agent in Jimmy Sexton, Jimmy Sexton, who you know knows where every one of his coaches is ranked and and, and bumps them all up according to each other. And I, I think Eli is Eli's a smart guy, man. He knows who controls the money at Mizzou, and he's made friends. and And that's part of the job is you you stay on the, in good graces of the right people. Uh, I think this was a curator based decision, and they they wanted to make sure that they were not kind of dragging the bottom of the barrel of the sec in this latest round of coaching raises. So I think Mizzou will say, Hey, this is a sign that we're competitive in this conference. And I think if you were a, uh, you know, an accountant, you might say, Hey, that's fine. It's good that you have that money to do that. But why are you giving out a, you know, a raise from 4 million um, to eventually 7 million when there's no leverage for the coach and his agent? I mean, Eli, where was he going to go? He wasn't going to go to Georgia tech. Um, Auburn wasn't hiring him. So to me, it was kind of an unforced, premature extension. I would have said, hey, look, if next year's a great year, and we hope it is, 
then th- this money is going to be no issue and and the contract raise and extension will be there and you know that will be the time to really do this but we're not there yet um but i think mizzou likes eli a lot and i think that they hope that this is kind of almost like uh maybe similar to what the blues did with Jordan Cairo, give him the money now and give him the security. But here's the deal. Same for Cairo. Dan, the, the situation is now very clear. Mizzou's given Eli the, the first of all, the first contract, which paid him 4 million a year after he'd been a head coach for one year. It's given him the practice facility that he wanted. Um, it's bulked up the, the money for assistance. He could now, you know, he kept Blake Baker with, they kept him with the extension. Um, he can now have the money to go get a play calling offensive coordinator. If he decides to do that, the fans are going to games, the attendance and ticket sales have been good. So it's pretty much now squarely on his shoulders to go deliver. And he knows that um, he said, look, I've, you know, the, the expectations now are combined with the resources and it's on me to, to prove it. So I think year four needs to be a big year or that buyout language, which has been tinkered with that shouldn't go overlooked. It could come into play. So they owe him now, you know, I think it's 75% of whatever he has left, but he has to go get a new, another job and the new job that he gets will, would pay, you know, would, would cut into what Mizzou owed him if they move on. Um, so I think that that language being changed was, kind of a bit of a hedge and uh, probably something that, you know, puts a lot of pressure on year four, which we knew it was going to have to be a big year anyway. No doubt. All right. What are you working on this uh, weekend at the Post-Dispatch? What do you got going? Well, write some free agent stuff for, for Sunday's paper, kind of looking at maybe some guys that uh, that could or could not be potential fits for what the Cardinals are, are looking for. We'll have coverage from Dave Matter uh, down in Knoxville of Mizzou's game there, and we've got coverage on the site from – from uh, the GM meetings wrapping up as well from our pal Derek Gould out in Las Vegas. So plenty to read at stltoday.com for whatever sport you're looking for. Thank you, buddy. And uh, let's catch you up next Friday. Sounds good, man. Have a good weekend. You too. That's Ben Fredrickson at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Plenty of coverage here at scoopswithdannymack.com. Make sure and dive in and also watch the TV show on Fox 2 every Sunday night at 1030. And I'll talk to you this weekend coming up later today. A visit with the head coach of the Billikens. That's Travis Ford. You're listening to scoopswithdannymack.com.